You know, that was one Stephen uh, wrote, so uh, it was good to, to hear a little bit of his own uh, heart and soul come out in that. You know, I want to talk to you today about the Ark of Protection. I want you to think about what it would be like to be protected by the Ark of God. We think about the Ark, we think about Noah's Ark, but also we know there was an Ark uh, of, of the, that went into that Holy of Holies, and it was, the, it was a manifest presence of God would show up there. The manifest presence of God showed up in the ark. There was a third ark that Moses was in. It was called a little uh, boat, a little reed uh, made boat. And, and he was placed in there that he might be protected because God had a plan for him in his divine purpose. And he was going to come into Pharaoh's household and he was going to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt and into freedom. God always has an ark. God always has a protection. And I love it when we get to interact with people who are outside of the ark of protection, outside of the presence of God, outside of the church that God has put. You know, the church is the redemptive plan of God. God doesn't have another plan for mankind. It is the church is the redemptive plan of man. I'm really excited because Tammy mentioned marketplace ministry and that we are deeply involved in the middle of marketplace from our very beginning from the day that we started in El Rancho into a into a school and then into Edwards Theater where we would uh, we would come and show up and I remember those days of uh, literally we would sign checks on the popcorn counter because we didn't have an office remember the first week when I got up to speak and a guy uh, seated on about the second row. If he's here, I just won't call you out, but I know who you are. And he had a big box of nachos. They had the had the snack bar open, and, I, and I'm starting to speak, and all of a sudden I hear this guy crunching on nachos, and I looked at him and go, seriously, dude, you know, what do you do? And we were in the marketplace, and people would come in. I remember walking in the theater one day, and my neighbor, who's not a believer, he looked at me like, what are you doing here? And I looked at him like, are you coming to church? And I just assumed maybe he was coming to church. So, well, can I help you? And he had his uh, little girl with him and a couple of her friends, and, and they were going into a birthday party that they had scheduled at the theater. And he was helping me carry it in. He says, what are you doing? And I got to talk to him about Christ and about what it means to, to understand the redemptive plan of God. This past week, we were so excited to, to, to really see if you haven't made your way through back through the, the coffee area there, I want you to do so because uh, uh, Milt and his team made some great progress this week in, in getting us ready and getting us closer to opening. But that's a marketplace ministry. And I'm so excited. I don't think Steve would mind me saying this, but Steve said, you know, the owner of Bodie Leaf, he said, you know, I, I've really been out of church for 20 years. And we stood right back there. And a good friend of his, a guy named Mark, who's in our fellowship, introduced me to him. And it was just by the divine hand of God that God is cultivating this man. We stood right back there. And he just began to tear up. And he told me a little bit of his story of how, how church had an experience, had, had drove him from church. And he said, I don't know why, I just feel this divine connection. He said this, he said, 
I don't understand why I feel this way, and I don't understand why I'm telling you all I'm telling you, but I just feel so close to you. And I put my arms around him, and I begin to pray with him. And I said, that's why we exist, guys. We exist for guys like Steve and others. And he said this. He said, I want to help you fulfill your mission. And all I could think of was Cyrus, the king of Persia. And how God took a guy named Cyrus, this, this king of Persia, and he used him to bring the people of Israel back into the land. And you know what God called him? He called him my anointed. He wasn't a follower of Judaism. He wouldn't be what we would call today a Christian. And God said, you're my anointed. I have a purpose and a plan for you, and I'm going to use you to bless Israel. This week we redid all the floors in the coffee shop. And I love humor. I love to tease. I love to have fun with people. If you know me very long, you know that's just a part of me. And sometimes I don't know where the limit is. <laughs> I admit, I, I, you know, I'm just like chief of sinner. And so I was negotiating. We were talking there with the guy that was doing the floors. This guy's named Jose. He's supposed to be here today. Maybe you're here today, brother. But he, uh, I was negotiating with him, and I said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll wrestle you. If I win... I'll pay you your full price. If you win, okay, or if you win, I'll pay you the full price, but if I win, you cut it in half. And he started laughing. He came back the next day. He's still laughing. He says, I told my wife. She said, oh, he didn't. The seven-year-old daughter said, oh, he didn't. I said, yeah, he did. <laughs> he kind of pulled me off to the side, and he said, I got to tell you, we're coming to church Sunday my whole family. And the reason I tell you those stories is because there's something inside of you that you don't know is there. You don't know the magnetic, if I can use that term, that, that drawing power of the Spirit of God that's in you, if you just release it, how you can begin to draw people in. And they begin to understand the love of God. And what it means to walk with God. I want to talk a little bit about the mystery of this ark of protection. The mystery of God. In Ephesians chapter 3, listen to what it says. Paul's writing to this church at Ephesus and he says this. To me, who am less than all the least of the saints, this grace was given to me. You see, unless you understand that perspective on life, that you have no quality by which earns you eternal position. You have nothing. What you have is the grace of God. Never, never does God ever put us on a scale and say, you're a really good Christian and you're a great Christian and you're a super Christian. He puts us all in the same. God's org chart is flat when it comes to spirituality. But he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love me with all your heart and your soul. And you're either going to be one of two things. You're either going to be away from me or you're going to be with me. You're either going to be spiritually minded or you're going to be carnally minded. You're not going to be something in between. And Paul said, this grace was given that I should preach the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
Don't you want to know what those are? Can't even search for them. I, I did a search the other night on, on some of the great uh, mysteries of, of treasures hidden. And, you know, a couple of them, I just wanted to, I wanted to just take a couple of weeks off and go look. Gold, you know, that was lost. At, you know, there was a, a ship coming down that, that river there at Custer's Last Stand, and, and they had to get the men out of there, and so they had to unload what would be about, about $20 million worth of gold bars. They just put them in the river there so they could come back for them, and they never could find them. They're there, and I want them. <laughs> Amen? I mean, I want to go down there and dig around and see if I can find some of that. I'm just There's something about buried treasure and he says no these are unsearchable you can't even get the coordinates you can't find the location there's not a map they're revealed when i reveal them that's what it means to have the unsearchable riches of christ and to make known to see to make to all to see what is the fellowship of the mystery that greek word mysterion means something hidden until it's time to be revealed You see, Revelation is progressive. God reveals a little bit to you wherever you are, and then when you're faithful with that, he'll reveal more. Just like in the Old Testament, God revealed something to Adam about who he was, but he would reveal more through the ages to those who were hungry and would thirst after him. So Revelation is progressive on a global scale, but it's progressive in your individual life, and you can only go as far as you're hungry. God is not going to give you more than you're hungry for. You see, the greatest things of God, the greatest riches of God, aren't on the surface. They have to be sought out. And he says, here's the unsearchable uh, riches of Christ, and it is the mystery which was hidden. That is, the, the hidden purpose and counsel of God, which from the beginning of the ages, you see, God has ages, and the way he deals with mankind through the different ages, and periods of time he dealt one way with adam he dealt another way with noah he dealt another way with moses another way with the prophets another way with christ and and in our dispensation in our day he deals with us in a certain way but it's progressive too every one of those ages is progressive has been hidden in god who created all things through jesus christ as i began to think about jesus you know and about his ministry you know what he did was he proclaimed now listen to this the word of the kingdom when he came he said let me tell you about the kingdom and he gave you the word of the kingdom but then what he did was he demonstrated the works of the kingdom I want you to remember these three words because they're going to be powerful for you. The first thing that he did was he proclaimed the word of the kingdom. He said, the kingdom of God is here. All here? No, but it's here. It's like a train coming to the station. It's here, but it's not all here. So what did he do? He proclaimed here the word of the kingdom, and then what did he do? He demonstrated the works of the kingdom. You see, the works of the kingdom point to the word of God. If you don't have the works of the kingdom, if you don't see transformation taking place, if you don't see miracles taking place, then it's not kingdom stuff. Because you can take this Bible, you can take it all in, and what you get is you get intellect, you get knowledge. And the worst thing you can do is have knowledge without the works. But then what he also did was he restored worship to the kingdom. He said, if you don't like me, let me tell you something. God will raise up stones and they will give me worship. 
You have to understand something about what Jesus came to do, the word, the works, and the worship in the kingdom. You see, that's why it says God inhabits the praises of his people. Because when we begin to praise, guess what it does? It dispels darkness. You know, if you can have the worst day of your life, you can be so discouraged and depressed, and you'll just put on some worship music and begin to just sing along the best you can with it, and you'll, I'll show you your day will get better. You know why? Because you've got all kinds of spiritual forces coming against you, trying to discourage you, trying to defeat you. And they, and uh, have you ever just had one of those moments? You might even be in prayer. You're praying, oh, God, I just love you and praise you. And then you'll get the weirdest, most odd, sinful thought that you ever could imagine. You say, how in the world could that happen? I'm in prayer. The enemy knows you're in prayer. Do you think he likes you in prayer? He wants you out of prayer. Now you get, now your mind goes over here. You see, he's called the prince of the power of the air for a reason. He's working through the air that we work in, we live in. He's affecting us. That's why it says you hold up the shield of faith by which you can quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. It's only by faith that you quench those. The unsearchable riches. What are the unsearchable riches? Let me just give you one. Let's think about creation. I got a text this week from someone who, who wanted me to talk to someone who was a, a, a very accomplished uh, uh, engineer in the space industry. And this person was not a believer and has been uh, negative toward God uh, his whole life, and yet now something's changed in his relationship with his son, and now he's searching out for God. And she said, are there any books you could give him? And I said, I could definitely do that, but I'd love to meet with him. I'd love to talk to him. But I began to think about what are some of the unsearchable riches. I think about creation. Think about how God created, but God wrote in his word before scientists could ever figure it out. You see, in Jeremiah chapter 40 and verse 22, the Bible says the earth is a sphere. Well, that, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting because you know that, right? But Jeremiah wrote 700 B.C. that the earth is a sphere. Scientists took a little bit longer to figure that one out. In fact, they figured it out probably not too many year, hundreds of years ago. Certainly not 2,700 years ago. In Job chapter 26 and verse 7, it says the earth hangs on nothing. There are not pillars out there holding it up. There's not an uh, atlas out there holding it up. He hangs it on nothing. It's one of the unsearchable riches. In Jeremiah 33, in verse 22, it says that the stars are without number. Those who postulated an understanding of the universe in Jeremiah's day said there were no more than 1,100 stars. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 41 says every star is different. And not too many years ago, scientists said, you know, every star is different. Well, how did the Apostle Paul know that in the first century B.C.? It's part of the unsearchable riches of God. And they're hidden in God. And God reveals those things. God reveals those things when he gets ready. What is the manifold wisdom of God? The word manifold there means multifaceted. That means when you look at the wisdom of God, it's kind of like the, uh, the, a diamond on a ring, and you go, it's, look at the different facets there, and you turn it, and you see different colors, and you see different glowing reflections of that, of that one diamond. 
And it says, God, God, the wisdom of God is manifold. Every facet is cut in just a unique way to bring about a new truth and a new understanding of who God is. And he applies it to you where you are in life. So sometimes you look at it and you see this dimension of God because that's what he's revealing to you. And then you look this way and he's revealing something else to you. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. Now look at this. This is really important. By the church. It's not God revealing it. Now he's talking about you revealing it. It's by the church. You have a responsibility as a child of God to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. And look who you reveal it to. It's not to your fellow neighbor. It's to, look, to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. You know who the principalities and powers? Those are demonic spirits. It is our responsibility, church, to reveal and proclaim the manifold wisdom of God to demonic spirits who turn their back on God because when we do that, what we do is we depower them and we increase our power because guess what? Demonic spirits, you know what they do? They're squatters in a land that they don't belong. See, squatters come in and they take over and they say, if I just stay here long enough, then it'll be mine. And that's why we have to break down those spiritual strongholds that come in our mind because the squatters show up and they try to take control and they have no responsibility there. They have no rights there. And what we want to do is we want to proclaim the manifold wisdom of God to all the demonic spirits and say, you have no place. You know how, how often we empower the enemy, Satan? Now listen to this. Now just use logic for a moment. Jesus said, all power and all authority is given unto me. True or not true? Let's say it together. True or not true? If he has all power, then what does Satan have? Why do we give him power? He only has the power you give him. He only has the power you allow him to have. When you proclaim the manifold wisdom of God, you announce to demonic world, you are powerless. The only power you have is when I give you power. When I sit around and say, oh, he's, I don't know what I'm going to do, the enemy, the enemy, the enemy, he's going, good, I've got you right where I want you. I can squat in your life. I can take over some, some land in your life because you gave me permission. Don't give the enemy permission in anything. That's why the Bible says the words of our mouth are either life or death. When you speak death over any situation, the enemy comes in. He establishes a stronghold. He squats in your life so he can take control of certain areas of your life. You can have 90% of your life yielded over here, and he's over here going, let me have that, let me have that. You have to stop. You have to stop the flow of the enemy right then and right there. You know, when, when Jacob wrestled with the angel, God revealed to him uh, at a place called Bethel, which is a, is a Hebrew word. It's a compound word. Beth means house, and El is God. That's why we say Elohim. So Bethel is the house of God. You see, the church is to be the house of God, which Jacob described as the gate of heaven. You see, the church is the gate of heaven. It's the redemptive plan of, of, man, of God for mankind. And so it's at the church 
that we are in the responsibility to introduce people to the gate of heaven. It is through this process that he has made us to be agents of reconciliation. We are given that task. We are ambassadors of Christ. The gate of heaven is the redemptive plan that God gave to the church. People say, well, I don't really need church to go to heaven, do I? My question is always this. Why would you want to go if you don't like church? It's going to be a full-time church service. Talk about misery. They're going to be singing with loud voices 24-7. There's going to be seraphim and cherubim and all kinds of, of religious things flying around, giving glory to God, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you want to talk about an offering, why you're going to offer your very best and you're going to cast it at the feet of the Savior and you're going to say, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb. I say this, a person who tells me I don't need church to be a Christian, I'll tell you is not a Christian. Because they don't understand what price Jesus did. Jesus died to establish the church. It's his bride. It's his body. It is all of him. You can't separate the head from the body and live. You can't do it. It is the ark of protection. Tammy made mention, it's amazing how many people we've seen healed and they have departed from, let's call it, the church. And then the minute that something comes back, they're calling us. It's happened two or three times last week. It's amazing to me. I got a text just this morning. Would you pray for me? Absolutely, I would. I want to take you on a little journey here. 2 Samuel chapter 6, and verse 11. It's not one you do your devotions on every morning, I'm sure. It's not a refrigerator verse. You know, we put on the, our refrigerators those verses like, you know, uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We don't put those ones on there. Jesus is coming back and his eyes are like a flame of fire. And, you know, those are just not refrigerated <laughs> verses, right? But I want to I give you a story here. In, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 11, you can go back and read more about it if you want. But I'm just going to read one verse. David left the ark, that's the ark of the covenant that went into the Holy of Holies, in the house of Obed-Edom. All in his household prospered because of the presence now, here's what happened. David was get, had the ark, and they were going to transport it into Jerusalem, into the temple that was going to be built one day. They went about it the wrong way, and they were carrying the ark prior to this story. They were carrying the ark, and a guy named Uzzah, when the ark began to slip off of the cart, he reached up to grab it, and he died. David got upset about it. David was mad at God. And so what he did was he took it over to the house of Obed-Edom. He put a little tent over it, a little tabernacle over it. And he left it there. And the minute he left the presence, the manifest presence of God, the symbol of his presence there at the house of Obed-Edom, the house of Obed-Edom began to prosper. You see, God will prosper you when you're in his presence. I didn't say your life will be perfect without problems. I said God will prosper you in the midst of, the, of his presence. Now let me take you to Amos chapter 9. Another familiar book to most. Amos chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. In that day I will raise up the fallen booth, that's the tent or the tabernacle of David. 
Now, what I thought was interesting about it is why wouldn't God restore the tabernacle of Moses? Remember, Moses had this big tent, and it had the Holy of Holies, had the Ark of the Covenant. Why wouldn't he restore the one of Moses? You know why? What hit me? The tabernacle of Moses and the, and the Ark was hidden from all the people. Only one guy could go into the Holy of Holies. That was the high priest. But the tabernacle of David, he put it under a tent. Everybody could see it. Everybody was accessible to the presence of God. And God says this in Amos, In that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David and wall up its breaches. And I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess all the remnant of Edom. There it is again. Remember Obed-Edom, 2 Samuel. Now here is Amos hundreds of years later. And, uh, and I thought, why Edom? What was so significant about Edom? Well, Edom today would be present-day Jordan, but he's not talking about a location here. God is more concerned about people than he is about location. You see, Edom was a name given to the follower, the descendants of Esau. Remember Esau, Jacob and Esau? Esau sold his birthright. God says, I'm going to bring back the presents to everyone who sold their birthright. You gave up your birthright, you gave up your life, you gave up your heart, you sold yourself for something cheap, and God says, I'm going to bring back the birthright, I'm going to bring back the presence to all, look at this, the remnant of Edom, and all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. God says, I'm coming back, I'm bringing it. And the verses that follow this says, why, you know what's going to happen? The plowman is going to run faster than the reaper. Imagine you got, you're a plow in that day and you've got, a, you've got an ox out in front of you and the plowman is running so fast the ox can't keep up with him. He says the harvest is going to be greater than the cultivation and the, and the sowing of seeds. I'm going to bring it. I'm going to multiply things like you've never seen before. I'm going to do something you've never seen. God is raising up the tabernacle of David today. You see, there started about 20 years ago a prayer movement that a lot of people just didn't even know was going on. And today there are more people praying 24 hours, 7 days a week than ever before. God is raising up the tabernacle. You know why the tabernacle of David's significant? Because David selected out, he selected out out of the tribe of Levi, thousands who would sing the praises of God 24-7. The prayer movement, I want you to know God is calling you to a prayer movement. God is calling you. You just don't know it yet. You say, oh, I don't know how, what that looks like. I don't have time to pray. Yeah, you do. You do when problems come. You ever notice how much time you have to pray when you've got a problem? i got all the time in the world to pray. When everything's going great, I don't got any time. Why? Because I'm misdirecting my energy and my attention toward things that don't matter. And when you begin to see the real issues in life, you say, wow, I've got to get, I've got to up the ante here. Let me take you to the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. You know what you are? You're a priest before God. See, the Bible teaches there is a priesthood of the believer. And what that means is that you have a right to go before the Father. You don't need anyone to be your mediator. You go right to Jesus. You don't have to come to me. You don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to go to anybody else. You go right to Jesus, the priesthood. And guess what it says? You're a spiritual house. You see, you're the temple of the living God. You know who dwells in you? The Holy Spirit. 
That makes you the moving, living temple of the living God. And you're a priest in that house to offer up spiritual sacrifices. You know when you offer a sacrifice when something's wrong? You ever thought about that? When do you sacrifice when something's wrong? Your kids get in trouble. They need some money. What do you do? You sacrifice. You have a hospital bill and you can't pay it. What do you do? You sacrifice in some other areas. Jesus looked across the world and he said there's a sacrifice that needs to come because there's a problem. The problem is they're all sinners. You see, sacrifice, he says, you need to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in, in the book of Romans that we are, to, we are to offer unto him spiritual sacrifices, which is our reasonable act of worship, that we might prove the will of God. You know, you can only prove the will of God through sacrifice. That when you sacrifice, when people sacrifice their time, they're demonstrating that God is important. When people honor God with their tithe and their offerings, they're, they're demonstrating sacrifice, that they honor God, that there's something more important than, than me holding on to my money. It's all about sacrifice. This last thought I want you to hold on to is a, we are a threat to the darkness. We are a threat to the darkness. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access. You know what that access is? Into the presence of God. Romans chapter 5, it says that, that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation into this grace in which we now stand. In the French translation of that passage, it says we have an entree before the king. You go into the king with boldness, with the blood of Christ. You don't go in as a servant looking out from the outside. You're a child of God who walks in and says, that's my dad. Hebrews says we have boldness because of the blood of the lamb. Revelation says we have boldness because we have not loved our life even unto death and because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of our testimony. If you don't have a testimony about what God's doing in your life every day, then you need one every day because God's fresh every day. Your purpose is eternal. Your purpose is eternal. Everything you do here and now has direct bearing on there and then. Whatever you don't do here, you cannot make up then and there. Every word you speak, the Bible says, every idle word we will be held accountable for. That means that everything that we don't do in, 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 the, in, in the vein of pushing it forward toward God and saying, God, I love you and I praise you and I magnify you, it just, it just counts for nothing. We just wasted time. We wasted time. I was over at the coffee shop, the, the one location down in Orange, and, and I've tried to build a relationship. I try to go there every day. It's not convenient. I don't have any other motive except I want to build a relationship with the people that work there, some of whom are believers and some of whom are not. I have one purpose. I have an eternal purpose because I recognize that some of those employees have already asked to transfer and be here. I went up to the counter. One girl said, do you know me? And I said, no, I don't think so. She was a young gal, and she said, maybe you know my mom. She mentioned her name. I said, I, oh, yeah, I do, and she's a Christian. She said, I've already asked to be transferred. Another gal, she said, uh, oh, I'm so excited about the church. My first job in a coffee shop was at, at the coffee shop at Vineyard. And I've been away from God. 
Another guy I told you about a couple of weeks ago, and I gave him expect a miracle, and he said his life changed around. Now when he sees me, he gets a big smile on his face. He says, hi, hi, Phil, how are you doing? You see, we're changing lives. We're making a difference in people's lives. Our purpose is eternal. What difference does it matter if you don't have an eternal purpose? The presence of God will not rest on anything man-made. The presence of God doesn't rest on anything man-made. Well, can't the presence of God be here? Yeah, but this building is man-made, but God's presence is on this earth. That's why he told Moses, take off your shoes for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. He told Joshua exactly the same thing in Joshua chapter 5 when, he, when, the, when the angel of the Lord showed up. And he said, Joshua, he says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. He said, are you for us or for them? He said, neither. I, can't, I didn't come to take sides, I came to take over. If you're playing the take sides game, then you're missing out on all of what the scripture says. I love it when people take a shot at some preacher that, you know, that they think doesn't preach the Word of God. You know, he's on TV and he doesn't preach the Word of God deep enough. Well, you know, the Bible doesn't even do that. Why are you doing it? Paul said, you know, does he preach Christ at all? He said, then I rejoice. I just rejoice. I rejoice. You're going to reach somebody I can't reach. It's going to change a life somebody doesn't. I remember hearing a Jewish guy interviewed on TV one time, and he said he got saved at the Crystal Cathedral with Robert Schuller. And the interviewer said, how in the world could you get saved on that deal? He said he doesn't even talk about Jesus. You've got to remember to a Jewish guy, this is what he said, to a Jewish guy, that's all he talked about. <laughs> it's all perspective, amen? It's all perspective. The presence will not rest on anything man-made, but he, now watch this, his presence rests on you. His presence rests on you. I have no doubt that there is the presence of God in this place. I mean, I have people, I, I got concrete finishers tell me that. I got coffee shop owners tell me that. They don't know anything about it. They come in, they go, something going on here. Well, that's enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray right now. I want to pray that your spirit takes what we've said and whatever, Father, wasn't exactly of you, the Holy Spirit, you'll correct it. God, we know that we can only speak to the mind. It is the Spirit of God that speaks to the heart. So I ask you, Holy Spirit of God, speak to the heart right now. God, we need to declare the power of your presence in this place. I'm going to ask all of us to stand, and I, I've written a declaration of his presence. I want you to, to repeat after me. It'll be on the screens. My victory, this is your turn. The word repeat, mean anything to anybody here? Got it? All right. Let's try it one more time. My victory, My victory. is in, in life is found in Christ. Every step of my life is marked by His guidance and His purpose. God's manifold wisdom has established me as a child of God. No weapon formed against me will prosper. As a child of the living God, I will rise to new heights 
by the power of His Spirit. This year, this year, will be my greatest year. This day will bring me favor and joy from the Lord. This moment, I am in the presence of the Lord. His presence rests on me and secures my future. I am bold and strong in the Lord. I will not waver in my faith, nor will I yield ground to the enemy. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. give Him praise. Heavenly Father, we just give you praise today. You are the great and the mighty God. We love you. We magnify your name. And we ask you, Holy Spirit of God, to shape us, to just intrigue us with the mystery of the unsearchable riches of God, that the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers, that we would recognize all power and all authority is given to you, Jesus, and you have given us a commission and a mission to go and make disciples of all nations until every tongue and every nation and every tribe bows the knee not only to the name but at the name of Jesus and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father in whose name we pray amen and amen amen you know as you go out today I just want to remind you ladies if you haven't signed up for the uh, conference do so men sign up your wife say you need it I've been living with you all these years you need this conference that probably won't go over well, so don't do that. But we love you guys. We, we pray that you'll have a great day. If you haven't walked through our, our coffee shop today, um, what, babe? Oh, yeah, Bible study. Thank you. Um, tomorrow night's Bible study, we start back um, for men and women, uh, 7 o'clock for men and women. If you want to come for a little pizza, guys, you can come at 630. Uh, we have to feed the guys. We have to bribe them because uh, there's always a national football game on college but i know you're not going to watch it but uh god bless you guys have a great day say hi to somebody greet him in the name of the lord would you do that